Welcome, Redeem family, church, and friends. How exciting it is to be a part of the church on the move. And again, you know that we're moving into a new building and we're uh, making so much progress in getting this building ready to truly make an impact in our community. And what I love about it the most is that so often church seems like something that you attend once a week, or in the case of most people today, maybe once a month. It's really, you know, church attendance has become really what I just call weak. And so there's a reason you have to look at it and you have to say, is it the facility? Is it the body? Is it the relevancy? Well, you know, you look at all these different factors. But while we're trying to make this church building really impactful for our community, we're trying to turn it into a 24-7 building. In other words, there's, there's going to be not just a worship uh, area in this building, but there's going to be counseling centers. There's going to be so many different opportunities to impact people's lives in a very meaningful and real way. And I love that. And then as we're going through the book of Romans, just as we're trying to get the building ready to be impactful, we're actually trying to get ourselves ready to be impactful. The Roman road is really a road to understanding God from a distance, to understanding God as Father, to then having God literally transform our lives so that we can be the change agents for our community. That's what's really going down. And so I think you're going to love the, um, what I'm calling this road from uh, f finding freedom to actually being able to bring freedom to other people. So look at the graphic on the screen for a moment. I, I appreciate that graphic because it really does help us to navigate it. We heard uh, at the very beginning last week in chapter one with uh, Romans, it was really this uh, depiction of Paul setting up God as if he is the judge. And then he's being tried, basically, by mankind. In the, uh, the picture is that he's in this courtroom setting and that mankind is going to demand a hearing from God. And in that, God's going to acquiesce to say, okay, I'll, I'll give you a hearing and I'll be the judge and we'll see where this goes. And so then basically the first three chapters are in that courtroom setting. Chapter one was basically man saying, I de I'm denying God. There is no God. And so it's kind of funny when you think about it. How do you want to have a hearing with a God who you don't even believe exists, right? Well, in that first hearing, God's listening. And he says, you know, the reality of it is that even nature proves that I'm God. And I loved it because uh, Kurt pointed out last week that when we suppress that truth, the reality that even nature speaks of a creator, that what happens is that we basically become arrogant and we become to the point of a shame to admit that we would need God. And then he went on and says, yeah, God says that we shouldn't be ashamed of needing him in salvation because it's a powerful way to be transformed. And there's no way to be transformed outside of the power of God. So I loved last week. But anyway, we, mankind goes like this. There is no God. That's the first pass in the courtroom. The verdict basically from God is, yeah, nature even proves it. Now, today we're going to be in chapter two, and we're still in the courtroom, and it's going to go like this. Okay, there is a God, but I want to elevate the position of man. So in other words, it's like man's self-righteousness is equal to God. That's what we're going to see uh, is mankind's argument today before God. And then next week, we're going to actually see, all right, uh, first chapter one, deny God. Chapter two, elevate man. Chapter three is going to be, okay, make God small by putting in a religion. And so it's going to be, okay, God, if you're real, we're going to put you in this box called religion, and then we'll interact with you. And those are all the courtroom settings. And then we're going to fortunately get to chapter four and beyond where God says, you know, do you really want to continue 
knowing me as a judge in this setting? Or do you really want to hear from me as a father who loves you? God's going to say, can we get out of the courthouse and move into the family house? Can we get out of the courtroom setting where I can speak to you like a father in the family room? And then from four, we move on to five, and we're going to see where where Christ says, here's how you actually become alive. And it's just going to move on through that beautiful process of faith. And then it's going to be to freedom. Then it's going to be to transformation. And ultimately, it's going to be, this is how you can change the world. And I hope that you will set your sights on that. I'm asking you to do something non-lethargic. I'm asking you to read through the book of Romans with us as we go. This is a powerhouse book, and I'm not calling it a letter on purpose. Good night, it's 16 chapters. And Paul, I mean, Paul was a theologian. He was a missionary. He was a mentor. He was a Pharisee. And I liked what Kurt said. He's like a tension builder or a troublemaker. Paul was a catalyst for change. And he was trying to move people, and he was speaking to the church and Romans who, I mean, these Christians were going through unreal persecution and the society was crumbling around them and they were standing up to speak truth out of love. And I don't know if there's not a better opportunity to do exactly that right now. So I, I want you to allow God's word to transform us. Go through it. Pay the price to read the book. You only have to read, you know, about a paragraph a day. It's only 16 powerful chapters, but but meter it out. We're going to be on it for the next you know, nine or ten weeks, but allow God to speak to you through this book. You know, and I hope that you will make that effort because it's going to be hard to allow uh, God to move us, and yet that's what He wants to do. He wants to move us from one place to the next. That's what He does best, and that's what Paul was outlining in this amazing book. So let me just ask you a question uh, as we get ready to look through uh, chapter 2, because chapter 2 is going to be about how do you really uh, have a healthy perspective of man and God? You're going to see in this chapter, unfortunately, man's going to begin with, I want to elevate myself to the place of saying that you should listen to me, God. So it's really about promoting our our own self or self-righteousness. That's what we're going to see the argument is today. And what I'm going to suggest is, you know, here's the conclusion that we actually have to die to self. So that self-preservation only tells us that it's still alive and that it's ugly. Another word in the psychological sense is our ego. We're going to have to make sure our ego doesn't get in the way of hearing from the very word of God and his truth. So that's where it's going. But it's going to be a fight. Our, our egos, man, we are, it's amazing. We fight so hard to preserve ourselves, and yet our egos are so fragile because we're defending them all the time. The freedom is you don't have to defend it anymore. You just die to it. And that's what we're going to see. But let me ask you this question again, which is, you know, what are you willing to fight for right now? With all the stuff that's going on, and I, I, I love what Kurt said last week too, on Planet Crazy. All the stuff on Planet Crazy, what is it that you as an individual want to fight for right now? I mean, you just take a minute and think about it. What am I fighting for? And would you ask yourself, what right now in your life, what is the most at stake? Where are the risks the highest? And are you entering in? Are you, are you full force moving ahead because it's that important? Because what's so easy to do is just to check out or do the best we can. And I'm suggesting that right now, the best that we have isn't going to move the mountains that we're uh, 
seeing need to be moved. Right now, we're going to need God to move on our behalf. That's what I'm suggesting to you that we're going to see in the second chapter of Romans. So what are you fighting for? Think about it. What are the stakes? Be aware of them. And now let's go to the book of Romans and see if there is a way to move uh, in such a way that we can see God's hand literally reaching to the very uh, innermost being of our hearts to an inside job and cause us to be able to put self in the proper perspective. In other words, that we can give ourselves to him versus convince him of how great ourselves are. So the uh, beginning of what we want to look at is found in Romans uh, chapter 2, and I want us to read verses 3 to 4 because everything is going to hinge on this one passage. There's, you're going to find that out of all the verses in Romans chapter 2, there's this battle going on of defending this thought, of breaking this thought down, but it's all going to hinge from God's perspective that we read in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. So read these with me. It says, And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I'm just saying that this is a wow passage for me because so much of my life people have tried to motivate me to change or to be different. And what they do is they're, they're motivating me by reward systems or by shaming me. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to force an outcome in my life and it, you know, it's really behavioral modification. And what we see here is God's not trying to modify our behavior. He's trying to open our hearts so that we won't take lightly the very kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance, and again, sometimes people, I just have to apologize. The church ruins where like, you know, repent or burn or, you know, repent means change and grow. Come into the very uh, reason for which you were created in the first place. Let's learn how to be the best version that God gave his life for. That's what he wants for us. And if we're on any other track, then repent, change, move towards growth. And if we're not moving towards growth, we need to what? Repent. And how are we going to repent? Is, is it going to be through, you know, 17 goals and 17 plans? Or is it going to be because we've heard the voice of God himself speak with patience and kindness into our innermost being that causes us to want to move. That's how we're going to need to move forward in our fight. So you're going to see everything hinges on this passage. Now put that uh, against the backdrop of elevating man. Because again, last week, chapter one, there is no God. We're denying God. Evidence, actually, nature proves to it. And then it says, and the reason you can't see it is because you've suppressed the truth. Therefore, God has turned you over to the own depravity of your mind. So here we are, those who don't want to go on, they're just stuck. They're just stuck on a path to debauchery because their minds are depraved. Now he's looking and saying, but those of you who are still open, I'm going to take a second pass. So we'll have this court hearing thing all over again. We're going to have a second pass because I'm coming after you. Those of you who don't deny me and believe that I am, now I want to show you how I really work. Well, then what happens is mankind says, okay, maybe there really is a God, so I better prove myself as important enough to make him want me. That's what he knows we're going to do. But So we go down this path of self-righteousness, and the way we do it 
is usually through three different arguments that we're going to see today. One is to say, Lord, I really am a good person. I really am righteous. I really am important. You know why? Because I'm better than other people. Or, in other words, there's others who are worse than me. That's what we're going to see in this passage. And then number two is going to say, you know what, God, here's another reason that I'm important because uh, I do good things. I do some really good stuff. And then number three, we're going to say, you know what, God, this is why I'm important because in reality, I've done more good than bad. Therefore, I, I should be uh, received by you. So those can be the three arguments. And we're just going to look at them today and see the value and the shortcomings of each one. So first of all, let's look at man's argument as being self-righteous in terms of other people are worse than me. And I know at first you're thinking, well, uh, you know, we don't work that way. Yeah, we, we kind of work that way a lot. You know, we end up comparing ourselves to other people. And then we unfortunately will even say, well, because they're doing better, maybe I'm not as good. Isn't that weird? So th this is a whole worldly mindset. It's not a God mindset at all. He doesn't look at the outcomes of the human being. He looks at the secrets of our heart. He's looking at us holistically. He knows our whole story. He knows the families that we were born into. He knows the pains that we've been through. He knows every hurt. He knows every sin. He knows every thought that we've had. And he's trying to cause all that to work together for good. That's how he works. So he's trying to cause everything in our life to work together for good. And we're out there competing with other people trying to make ourselves look, quote unquote, gooder than them or make them seem as though they're not as together as we are. And God's saying, you know, just the fact that you think that that's okay tells you that you need me. That tells you that you're far away. And so you think you're self-righteous, and yet you're willing to use other people to feel better about yourself, and you'd be willing to compare yourself to people. And, and he's just going, man, you can't move that way. And this is what's really sad, is that when we do, when we start comparing ourselves, this is what inevitably will happen. If we don't feel like we measure up to them, we isolate ourselves. We'll remove ourselves. And then we'll, we'll go down this path of self-improvement so that we can prove that we are valuable enough. And then what we happens is that sometimes we don't even allow our voice to be heard because we feel, you know, like we, like we just don't measure up. And the powerful thing here is God is literally wanting to hear from us. He wants to hear what we have to say. He wants us to to be able to actually come to him to find a life outside of what this world has to offer. And so it's not about isolating ourselves because we don't measure up. It's literally a beautiful thing when you recognize, you know what? Uh, Jesus himself came in a humble form in the incarnate human flesh. He came as God to earth. He came as a quote unquote small person. He came to the smallest tribe. He came to not be born in a stable. He came not to prove himself to anybody, but to give himself away for everybody. You see the difference? We don't have to go to anyone to make them be convinced of our value, much less God. If we're created in his image, he's already finding us valuable so much that he wants to have a relationship with us. And so, you know, don't, don't hide. And, and I think sometimes, folks, this is why a lot of people don't come to church. Because you because we're looking at it and we're going, you know what? I'm not as good as Ralph or Gertrude. And we don't have a Ralph and Gertrude in our church. That's why I tried to use those. Or if, and if we do, hey, Ralph and Gertrude, we probably aren't as good as you anyway. But you hear what I'm saying. We actually isolate because we don't feel like we measure up. And what's going to happen is, is it's not even fair to put on Ralph and Gertrude the expectation that they do. It's not that way. The truth is, 
hey, we are here because we need each other to grow in the best version of ourselves. We need the Christ and other people to encourage us and to hold us accountable and to hold us sometimes, just to hold us, because it's really hard. And so if it's hard, don't run away. Run to people who love you. And church, we need to quit competing with people, with churches, with the world, with marketing, with all that stuff, because it's exhausting and it takes away our ability just to hold a person, just to love a person, which is where the real transformation takes place. I don't know about you, but after two years of COVID crazy, man, I need a little hug time. I need to be seen. I need to be affirmed. I really do. And, and I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's an accurate understanding of where I'm at. I need to feel like I'm part of a body who genuinely cares about me. And that's what we do best. So anyway, nobody's better than anyone else. In fact, Jesus said it like this, and as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so if you don't feel like you measure up, you're in the perfect place. That, that's, that's that least place in which God's looking for and able to move in our hearts. And so again, I just want us to hear it the amazing power of Romans chapter 2 verse 4 one more time because I think it helps move us away from trying to compare ourselves to anyone or feeling like we need to measure up. And hear this, Romans 2 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Can you hear it a little bit different now? I do. I just, the riches of his kindness. His kind is so rich that it makes me wealthy, that it makes me something. I become elevated through him and through his goodness towards me, not the efforts of my own. Anyway, the decree in the bottom line here is going to be, it's not about being better than anyone. It's about being there for anyone. That's, that's his bottom line on that one. So then man's going to say, well, wait a minute. My deeds, if you really, this is number two, if you really knew my deeds, God, you would know that I'm pretty good. And that makes up, you know, for something. So that makes me important because I've done this, this, and this. And we give them our litany. And Paul responds to the second argument of God's perspective in Romans chapter 2, 5, is we, if we run on reading, it says this, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, can you see a big shift here? The kindness of God leading you to want to change versus, hey, you stubborn-hearted person, do you really want to have to deal with wrath? And he's saying there is going to be a judgment. It is coming. And that judgment doesn't have to be for those who are in my family. This judgment is going to be for those who think that their deeds were sufficient to make me you know, want to see them elevated. The reality of it, you can't. It's as ridiculous to die, deny God and see nature as it is to get a glimpse of God, his riches, his kindness, and to make him smaller than he is. You can't do it. And so what happens is that you're going to now uh, be forced to be given over to the depravity of your mind, or in this case, you're going to be given over to wrath and judgment to wake you up so that you can uh, see that you're on the wrong track. But I like this fact that Paul's saying is, is not going to work when we move down this path of saying that my deeds should cause you, God, to find value in me. It just doesn't work that way. Every person, this is what's interesting, 
uh, is going to give an account of how well we lived our lives. That's true. God's word says there's two judgments. One judgment is whether you're part of his family or not. And so those who are in his family enter into his, his everlasting kingdom. That's how it works. Those who don't are, are destined to go their path, which is going to be eternal separation of God and hell. That's the first judgment. The second judgment is an accountability for how well we live. And Jesus said, you need to be aware. Every word, every idle word you share is going to result in something. And here's the power of this. So if we have to give an account for every idle word, the deeper truth is this, that every deed we do has consequences. It either puts the right things into motion or it's putting the wrong things into motion. And so we're going to give an account for everything we did, how well it moved, why? Because our words and our actions are not tethered to the physical realm alone. They're also impacting the forever spiritual realm. And so they're going to have an impact. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. We know this in the physical realm. The same thing's true in the spiritual realm. And so we will be giving an account for it. And so when we sit there and we say, X amount of deed, this should make me worthy, God say, you know what? Your, your deeds are important to me, but that's not what makes you worthy. That just puts things into motion. We're going to look at it. And you will be rewarded. You'll get to see the outcome of, of uh, your actions and your words, which is an amazing opportunity that we're going to get to see, which should move us to do what? To make sure that we're putting the right things forward in that spiritual realm. And oh, by the way, the only way to know how to move things forward in the spiritual realm is through the Spirit, which is why God's kindness is trying to cause us to learn to be able to receive from Him in the Spirit in His life. And so we'll just want to be able to make sure that when you look at your deeds, don't equate your deeds to something that elevates you. Look at our deeds to see, are they elevating others? Are they lifting up Christ? Did they create that kind of an outcome and a result? If not, they're not, they're not going to pass judgment. And they're, you know, they're not going to bring value to us. And so the truth of the matter is, here's the bottom line on, hey, you should look at my deeds, and that should prove my worth to you, is that bottom line, God's going to, you know what? Your deeds were never designed to make you right before me. I'm not even after your deeds. I want to just read Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 16. And Paul, if we read all the verses, you would see the argument. I've done this. I've done that. They did this. They did that. I'm a Jew of Jew. You're not. Gentiles act. They're just wasting everybody's time by arguing about things that really don't matter. And then the beauty of it is, as we see this in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, on the day when... According to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. God said, you know what, you can talk about your deeds all you want, but the truth of the matter is, is I'm going after the secrets of your heart. Because you can even do certain deeds, and you may not even know the motives by which you use those you know, deeds for. Were you trying to get your way? Were you trying to earn something? Or were you just doing it out of pure love and a willingness to sacrifice for somebody else's behalf? So he's going after the secret things of our life, and that's how it really is supposed to work. And oh, by the way, secret things are done in a conversation, not in a court hearing. You know, are you with me? And God's all, this is his hint, is let's get out of the courthouse and get back to that family house. But before he gets there, mankind's going to lift up one more argument as to why it is that he or we believe we should be elevated to the place of our own self-righteousness before God. 
and it goes like this. And I hear it, I've heard it so many times in my life, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it. I've been more good than bad. We have this concept of saying, you know what, God, if you'll just weigh everything, you will find me as significant, important, because the bottom line, I've done more good than bad. What's weird about that is it puts uh, pressure on us to actually perform. So it's, it's almost like before I die, I need to make sure I did a few better things than worse things, right? Another way of looking at this, though, is to be able to uh, see yourself going to God and, you, and saying something like this, you know, I'm actually better than a bad person. I'm better than bad. And then now can you see yourself going to your spouse? You want to get married. You want to win them over. I mean, I can just see this uh, going to my wife and saying, you know what? You know, I'm better than some other people who are worse than me. That'll make you want to just stay with me for life. I mean, it, it, it's such a weird argument when you tie it to real things in life. And so it's not about being better than bad. It's not about being more right than wrong. It is all about knowing that he can make us right even when we're wrong. That he can make us better even when we're not the best. This is that path of transformation. This is where he's really moving. So we're sitting there saying, hey, Oh, we're you know operating this way to prove ourselves. He's saying, yeah, but I'm looking at the secrets of your heart and it's not so pretty. Can I get down into that thing? Because when we get down there into the secret place, that's when the behavior will really be changed. That's where we move out of trying to perform and elevate ourselves to dying to ourselves. And so sometimes dying to ourselves again is just killing the ego, our preconceived ideas of, of what, you know, what we want to be, what we think God needs to be. Some of us, uh, we've been through some hard things and our preconceptions said, oh, this must mean I did something bad or why would God do, you know, allow these bad things to happen to me? And that's not, again, that's not the point. The point is that God's not interested in us proving whether or not we earn or don't earn his love. His love is so vast for us that it's made available for everyone. That's how it really works. And so it's not contingent upon uh, our behavior, his love is contingent upon his grace, upon his love for us, not our love for him or our, our proving of our love for him. So I want us to make sure that we look at life a little bit differently before we try to elevate ourselves before God, because that's the wrong road, completely the wrong road. And instead, let's lift God up and elevate him before people who need it. Let's be those who can share his love and to share his grace because there's going to be some hard conversations that we're going to need to have. In fact, Paul, who wrote this book, you have to remember that he began his Christian career as a murderer. Remember that the, I mean, he literally was there overseeing the stoning to death of Stephen, right? So this is who he was. And when I said that Paul was a troublemaker. He was willing to shake things up. Now, he was doing this because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he believed that Stephen was working against his religious uh, order of the day. We're going to see that, that next week, people. Religion distorts who God is. It literally tries to put him under human control. So again, we go like this. There is no God. Well, that's not true. God says, I am nature. Then we go, well, mankind's so important. You know, please take notice of me. No, 
I'm taking notice of you because I love you, not, not because of who you are. And then number three, all right, God, because you are real, now we want to put you in, in a place that you can work for us. No, it's not going to work that way. I can't make myself smaller for you. I need to make you able to receive all of me. So that's the way it's really going to go. Next week's going to be important for you to see because most of us gauge Christianity based on the churches and the religions that we've seen. And I'm telling you, we need to base Christianity on what Jesus is wanting to do to transform our lives, right? And the best way we can tell how well we're doing that is are we using our lives to be able to bring the best version of ourselves to others? And you know what's interesting? I look at this and we do this kind of, you know, I'm, I'm more good than bad or I'm better than somebody else. And the problem with it is that it, it's not going to ultimately be about us, but it's ultimately going to be, can we see other people in such a way that they're willing to show us their hurts and their needs so that we can pour the life of Christ and hope into them? That's how it's really going to be. So we need to be a church that doesn't put up walls or walling God. We need to be a church that shows the very heart of God to all. And when we can do that, I think we're cooking. And so I want us to make sure that we don't even have to waste any time trying to prove ourselves to God or anyone else. We really don't. That's not our argument. God's trying to get out of this posture of defense in the courtroom, and he's trying to get us back out into the real world where we can make a difference. So right off the bat, I want, to, I want you to uh, think of this. Are you or are you not perfect? And are your expectations of, of yourself to be perfect? Probably not. I mean, if you're honest, we're not perfect. So here, here becomes <laughs> the clarity of the problem. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one's perfect except God says he is. And so not only is he perfect, but he says heaven is. His kingdom is perfect as well. So now here, here's where the rubber you know, hits the highway. How does an imperfect person like myself get into the perfect realm of heaven and God's kingdom without ruining the value of the neighborhood, right? I mean, how can he let me in and have it still be perfect? There's only one way I'm getting in, and that's by being made perfect. And the way I'm made perfect, here's the beauty of it, isn't because I've earned anything, but it's because I've opened up my heart and I've said, Lord, can you come in and make me new? Can you take this ego of mine that I've been you know, trying to protect and preserve, and can you help me kill that thing so that I can become the person that you want me to be? And he says, when we're on that road, which is I'm calling the Roman road to finding freedom, when we're on that road, that, therein lies the road to perfection. It's through faith. It's through believing that he's kind, that he's good, that he can change us. And that outside of him changing us, it won't work. So I don't know where you're at today, but I hope you will see yourself as a person that uh, is being called to be changed by God in your innermost being. And that's that place where you can just go and just say, Lord, come on, move in here. Move on my heart and allow him to ask him to. He tells us that he's just right there just ready to come in and make a difference. And so uh, give him that opportunity. Push your, your needs, your wants, your perspectives to the side where they belong and ask him to uh, just really move in such a way that will allow us to be transformed. That's going to be through faith. So, I, you know, non-believer, I'm not sure where you're at, 
stay in this uh, on this Roman road with us. We're going to get out of this courthouse soon. Don't worry, we're going to go past religion. We're not trying to get you to be religious. We're trying to introduce you to the very uh, love and grace of God, which we see in the uh, in the incarnate, beautiful expression of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to get. Can you have faith in that? You may not have faith in the church, and I don't blame you. We have our blemishes and our problems, just like every other you know, person and institution. But we're doing our very best to allow God to change us. And so would you look to God instead of us at this moment and just allow Him to begin His good work in your life, in your innermost being? And then believers, can we just, just up our game can we really get back into the fight? So I asked you at the beginning, what are you fighting for right now? And I love the expression, you know, that uh, the man who believes in everything believes in nothing. And the man who, who stands for nothing uh, doesn't stand for anything. So we've got to be willing to stand for what really matters. And right now I'm recognizing that it is time to throw up our sleeves and be the change agents God is looking for, for our communities. Maybe for you and what you're fighting for, you're fighting for your family. I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for my grandchildren. I'm fighting for a community where they can grow up in and be able to see things that are important and significant, where they can be able to uh, mature in a way that, that causes them to uh, be all that God wants them to be, where truth is easily received and where we can grow and mature in it. That's what I'm fighting for. So I'm fighting for my family and I'm fighting for my community. And I hope that you will join us in that fight and make the effort. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be adversity. And again, that's why we need each other to be at our best versions of ourselves in Christ. So what a great journey to be on. Can you imagine doing anything less than that? And so God bless you for this journey. Amen.